Go ahead and open up your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be finishing up in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. But we start in Nehemiah chapter 4. We've been going through Nehemiah through the year. And in chapter 4 and 5, I saw some emphasis on the family. And so, I want to talk about it. Sometimes we think that a, um, a speaker has to be um, uh, proficient at what he speaks about. But when it comes to the family, there are no human speakers who are proficient. They may act like they're proficient. They may seem like they got everything right. But there is so much to work on. So I like to just stand up here and preach the Bible. Don't, don't worry about whether I got all my ducks in a row. Worry about what God says this morning. If you, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll read verse 10 to 14. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10 says, In Judah, these are the elders of the tribe of Judah, they said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there's much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. Again, remember, they're, they're attempting a massive construction or reconstruction project of the walls of the city of Jerusalem that had been broken and torn down. Um, in um, verse 11, the adversary, in our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. So they had the threat of the Samaritans that were surrounding them of at any moment just walking right in and swinging the swords and slaughtering. Verse, uh, verse 13, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and in the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords and spears and their bows. So where are the men? They're with their families. Where are the women? They're with their families. Where are the kids? They're with their mom and dad. So he, he didn't expect all the dads over here, all the moms over here, and all the kids back here in crash. No, we put them all together and family, family, family. And he said, keep your weapons by your side. Verse 14, and I looked and I rose up and I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, to everybody, be not ye afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Again, I hate the way words change over time. It means terrifying. Our God is terrifying. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. So we need to fight for our families is what we get the emphasis of. You may think your wife or your husband or your children are the problem. Just remember, we have an enemy that uses the people closest to us to destroy everything good. Our enemy, Satan, is warring against everything that God loves. And that includes families especially the families here. You think, now that I'm saved, I'm safe from the devil's attack. No, you actually swapped sides. Now you're on the other side. He has you right in his targets. When you were on his side, he left you alone. You were already going down with him. But now he seeks to destroy, to kill and to destroy. Too many homes, if not most families, have been destroyed. They are not what they should be. People have given up on the ideal of a Christian home, and they basically mock it. They basically, you talk about the, 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 the nuclear family, you talk about what is a biblical style of a family, and people just laugh. And our homes need saving. And it starts in a very powerful way. It starts with us loving our wives, which is kind of a, fa a fancy uh, uh, Concept, and when I say fancy, I mean it's a it's it's not what we normally think. If I'm gonna save my family, I gotta get a better job. If I'm gonna save my family, I gotta go back to school. If I'm gonna save my family, I've got to move, I've got to get into a, a better environment. There are lots of things you may need to do, but the most important thing God says to do is love your wife. It's probably the most important thing you've got to do, learn to do well. Not that you, I like how it says, if you'll go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 5, it doesn't say, husbands, understand your wives. Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? That is impossible, but anyway. But that if you do this well, the problems in your home will greatly diminish. Now, I think 
wouldn't you agree that men usually believe they already love their wives? And I have found that most men believe that the last thing they need advice on is how to love their wife. But the truth is, we do not love like we ought to. We have been, and I watch them, I, I see the kids. I remember when I was uh, growing up and I, I saw my older brother, <coughs> and I saw a generation of young men who wore white t-shirts and they had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve of their cigarette like Jimmy Dean. How many of you remember old Jimmy Dean? And that model of what a guy looked like with a cigarette hanging out of his head behind the wheel of a car and the most famous uh, pictures were when he was playing chicken with another car. They, they drove as close as they could before they would, they would swerve around each other to see who was going to swerve first. But that defined life for generations. Hollywood has defined what love is, what attraction, um, uh, that you're supposed to use alcohol to get your girl. You buy her with chocolates and flowers. Basically, you just, you know, if your wife or your girlfriend is not doing anything, you just give in to her and that makes her happy. That's the Hollywood style of love. The truth is, we just don't know how to love very well, gentlemen. Especially not when we compare our efforts to the love of Christ. So, uh, somebody says, well, this doesn't relate to me because I'm a teenager. Well, thank God, okay, because give yourself some time. Maybe somebody says, well, I'm not married. Well, you think that your marriage is already nearly perfect, or I'm a woman. Well, let me tell you, you're either married in this room, or hopefully you're preparing to get married. And uh, now there may be a third party in this room. There may be somebody who thinks their, their marriage is nearly perfect. They don't need any help. But the rest of us imperfect people, we need stuff like this. And, and the truth is, understanding God's view of marriage, whether you're a single woman or a single man, understanding God's view of marriage and how to make it work profoundly helps us to understand God's love. And that what Jesus does for us is, is not just, you know, ticking boxes, but there is such effort that Christ goes through to show that he loves us. And so when we learn that, it changes our whole perspective on life, not just on marriage. By the way, you ever thought, gentlemen, about how much time we spent um, for love? When you, when you are in love, you spend a lot of time because you're in love and you're, you're seeking love. And yet God turns that on his head and says, you need to spend some time to love, just loving. So let me talk to you for a second about what a husband's love should look like. And, and if I asked you what it is, according to Ephesians chapter 5, it's supposed to be your answer. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. Now, I could just stop there. It could just put a full stop and says, just do it. But he says, more profoundly, he says, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You think your love looks like that? Probably not on a scale of, of uh, uh, well, before I show you the scale, you know, he loved us when we were uninterested in him. He loved us, as I said last week, when we were ungodly towards him. He loved us when we were disrespectful of him, made fun of him. We were loved by him when we were unworthy. That was us. That was, that, he doesn't love perfect people or even nearly perfect Mary Poppins type of people. He loves unworthy people. Now, if that's true, then on a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to just not asking your wife, gentlemen, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you think you're loving your wife? Do you think you're loving your wife uh, uh, maybe a 5? I think a lot of people actually probably think they, they love their wife. Well, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, what's the, Don Juan or, you know, uh, I'm uh, Marlon, not Marlon Brando, sorry. Oh, that's the wrong guy to go with. But uh, who? I have no idea who that was, but anyway, on that scale, where would you put your kind of love for your wife, your, the effort that you put in, and oh, I hope it's not down at one? Well, it is, it is a reality that at the end of this message, your, your view of your love probably will be a lot more realistic. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would meet with us this morning. 
and that you'd convict us. And, you know, I'm very well aware, Father, that we are not all like one another. We're not all out of the same culture. A lot of us grew up understanding love very differently. And you don't ask us to love like our culture loves. You don't ask us to love like we find it easy to love. You ask us to love like Christ loved us. So help us to throw away the history, the culture, all of the hurts. Help us to just look into Jesus and let him define what love is and how to receive it and more importantly, how to give it. Because that's, that's, that's where all the battles are fought and won in the heart. I pray that you would humble us this morning and help us to hear every word and not argue one bit, but be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so far, what we've learned so far is I've taught you five, uh, four or five things. I've taught you, number one, that a husband's love is the result of being what filled? Now, normally, a Christian husband is normally what filled? Self-filled. But Ephesians 5.18, go back a page there in Ephesians 5.18, says, Be not drunk with wine. That's the culture. That's the world. It says, got to go drink. Got to turn to a drug. Got to turn to a bottle or a pill. But the husband's, Christian husband's love is a result of being spirit-filled. So you say you're saved. Amen. But are you spirit-filled? I'm saved. Amen. But are you constantly filled with the Spirit of God? Gentlemen, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God because otherwise, if you're not filled with God's Spirit, you will be filled with the Spirit of this world. You will be filled with drink. You will be filled with sports. You will fill your life up with work and career, or you'll just be full of yourself. You have, you cannot just be in neutral. You cannot just say, well, I'm not, I don't want to be a fanatic with the Bible. Then you will be a fanatic with something else. That is, that is just how it is. Do you have a walk with God daily? If you want to love your wife like you should, it starts with knowing how to get a hold of God and walk with God and have His Spirit, His um, thinking, and His influence on your life. Now, how many men in this room, especially the husbands, actually are reading through their Bible? Where they sit down daily and they go page by page reading through their Bible. I'd hate to ask because I think you'd be embarrassed and so would I. That we're not Bible readers. You say, well, I study my Bible. Well, good, but you know the Bible says, seek ye out of the book of the, of the Lord and read. Now, yes, we're supposed to study, but that book was written for you to read from cover to cover. And it takes four chapters a day to read your Bible through in a year. That's not too much. I bet you read five times that amount in your newspaper or on the Internet in the mornings. How many of us are making time daily to fall on our knees and cry out to God for wisdom and help and strength and guidance and love and for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God? That is where it begins. You want to know how to love your wife? Learn from this book. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you're filled with the Spirit, guess what you'll be filled with? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Amen. You say, my love's kind of low. Well, maybe your walk with God's a little distant. Secondly, husband love does what to God and others? <laughs> Besides resist <laughs> and rebels. What's the word? Honors is okay. Look at verse 21, 521. Big word there. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So a husband's love submits to God and to others. A Bible-believing, born-again, Christian husband is the head of your home. Amen. Well, my husband's not saved. Guess what? You married him. He's still in charge. You made the mistake. You better, you better hold tight and get things right between you and God and get that man saved. But he's still in charge. Now, that doesn't mean that he is his own boss. He's to be under two great powers in his life. The first one is the lordship of Jesus Christ. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, the head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. So and the head of Christ is God. So there's a line of authority there. And a husband, yes, he's the head of the home, but he's under the lordship of Jesus Christ as well. 
And he's also under another. He's submissive, or supposed to be submissive, to another authority of his life, and that's the needs of his family. That's where all of a sudden he realizes the needs of his family are more than his own. You're not your own boss anymore, gentlemen, when you get married. You don't have the power to do as you please. If you're married, you cannot choose what you do with your money anymore. Amen. I didn't get any amens out of that. It is not yours, gentlemen. It is your family's, and they come first over your wants. You don't choose what to do with your time. Your time is owned by your family. You don't get to choose with your what to do with your life either. When you get married, all of a sudden, that woman has a say over what happens in your life. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians. You're in Ephesians, go back to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. Imagine what a nightmare and what a terror, terror it is for a woman to have all of the finances, all the decisions, everything decided by the husband. I wouldn't trust him. And God doesn't either. And God says that man's been given an equal who has a say in everything. Amen. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells you in verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That means due submission to their needs. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. So they each are meeting each other's needs out of submission to them. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body. Isn't that crazy? See, God doesn't have to mention your wallet. He says you and everything about you is controlled by your wife. And ladies, everything about you is controlled by your husband. You better choose wisely. Amen who you're going to spend your life with. Let that sink in. A husband's love submits to God and to others. Third, I said, husband's loves, a husband's love something himself. Looked in verse 25, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as also Christ loved the church. And here's the key words, gave himself for it. And that's, that's he sacrifices himself. Said this last week, Jesus Christ loved us at a loss. Loved us where he got nothing out of it, <laughs> honestly. John chapter 10, Jesus said, As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When can sheep do anything for the shepherd? No man taketh from me, but I lay it down of myself. That's the sacrifice. That's the mentality. That's the love life of the Lord as a shepherd for his sheep. And to give yourself means two things. And the one one we think is easy, and that is to be the lover of your wife. Every guy thinks he is. But also to be the loser for the sake of your wife. Jesus lost everything just to love us. You know what it's going to cost you to be a spirit-filled, submitted-to-God kind of husband? It'll cost you just about everything. You are not going to walk out of a marriage relationship better, smarter, wealthier. No, not always. You will be better off, yeah, but not for all the reasons you think. You're actually going to, if you're going to love somebody as imperfect as you, you're going to pretty well pay for it. <laughs> You know, love almost always costs everything we have. But you don't mind. Not when you're in love. So put your needs, put her needs above your own. Treat her as more important. God says, love your wife like Christ loved you. Matter of fact, love her better than she deserves. Even to the point of loss, hurt, and ruin. Because it completely ruined Jesus to love us. Now, I don't know how to do that. If you figure that out, you've gone a long way in the right direction. But that's the goal, gentlemen, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. He sacrificed himself, and then I said, come the loser. Then I said, a husband's love, something his wife and family. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What are you holding in your hand? A powerful cleansing agent, something that keeps things clean. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. A husband's love sanctifies his wife. 
That means to clean or purify and protect your wife. According to Ephesians 5, a husband can actually sanctify his wife and family, can actually make her, make her life a whole lot better. You know, when you spend time with your wife and you just talk and you listen and you, 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 you work together to do things right according to the Bible, it washes out the spots, the soil places of their past with all the great promises of God. It irons out the wrinkles, not, not physical. You can't iron those out. But the wrinkles of how she sees the world and how she sees her past, you can iron out all of those hurts and all those pains. You can help your wife to be beautiful on the inside. No man loves his wife better than when she feels beautiful around him. You know, Jesus makes us feel important, doesn't he? I mean, every time over there in children's church, you know what those kids are learning? They are special. They're important. They're not a mistake. They are, they are precious. They are worth dying for. Well, let's raise it up. That's what your wife needs to feel from you. Of all the gifts that a husband can give back to God, one of the greatest gifts is the gift of our wives and our children, clean and strong and prepared for him to use. That's how a husband loves. Now, that's a lot for us to do, wouldn't you agree? I mean, you start looking at this Bible and start trying to figure out all the things you got to do. You just go, my goodness, how do I do all that? How do I, how do I, how do I not get, get overburdened about it? Well, you look at, are they worth it? And you know, when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, we actually take time to consider how to do it and that we are to do it. We, we come to the realization that, we are, that they are worth it. So the final three areas we're going to finish up here in Ephesians chapter 5 about a husband's love. And the fifth one, he says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, a husband, in his love, he satisfies his wife. Verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. So a husband's love satisfies his wife, or he actually works to please her. So summary, summary the words are this, love your wife as much as you love yourself. Is, is that even possible? <laughs> I'm going to give you three facts. Number one, gentlemen, you'll never make your wife happy perfectly. You're never just going to make her perfectly happy. That's Christ's job. Ladies, you'd better learn that Jesus must be your joy. Getting married will not make you happy, ladies. Amen? Having a perfect husband will not make you happy. Amen? Having a baby is not going to make you happy. Getting a new house is not going to make you happy. Only your own personal walk and relationship with Christ your own faith in Him, your own trust and confidence in His perfect plan will make you happy, joyful, contented, and fulfilled. Everything else is cream on the top. Fact number three, we can make them happier than we do normally. We can go out of our way and love our wives like we love ourselves. So here's some ideas, okay? Ditch the flowers and cards and chocolates. Well, at least the flowers and the cards. And determined to love your wife is just as much as you love yourself. Now, we talked about that a bit, but let me review here. You probably keep yourself pretty content and happy. If you were left to yourself, gentlemen, and could do anything you wanted, you'd probably do the things that you want to do, amen? You would not, if your wife gave you a list of things, which is going to come first, your wants or her list? Drum roll, please. Come on. If you could get away with ignoring her list and doing your own thing, you would do that, wouldn't you? Amen? Well, there are two yous now in you to keep happy. You do that list to please her. Amen? When we do things because we want to do it, we're doing it to please ourselves. But when I think of my wife and I want to love her, I look at her list and I go, I want to please a lady. I want to surprise her. Amen? The truth is, gentlemen, we care more for our stomach than we do our wife. 
We care more and more it pleases us than we actually think about what delights our wife. Try loving your wife in exactly the same amount as you do yourself, and you'll find out how hard it is. You'll find it impossible, as a matter of fact, at first. You'll find it frustrating because she doesn't like what you like. She, doesn't, she has her own ideas about what makes for a great evening. You'll have to start sacrificing a lot of the attention that you normally spend on yourself and on your sports and on your favorite TV programs and on your projects and on your job and on your needs. Should I go on? You'll probably have to sacrifice those things. But you do it, gentlemen. Sacrificing all that so you can bless and help and delight your wife. And, and with the mind to do it as a gift to her. Doing things that your wife wants done around the house in a timely fashion. Somebody once said this, ladies, if your husband says he'll fix it, he will. There's no need to remind him every six months. <laughs> you know, uh, what would bless your wife is if she asked you to do something and you got up and you did it. That may mean hoovering, washing the wear, rubbing her feet, massaging her neck and back. I just lost 90 of 90% of you. Never. <laughs> um, uh, Eric, you're in my crosshairs here. You do things as a gift to her. Do you even know what she likes? What thrills her? I, you know, a lot of guys memorize what restaurants she likes. Or what TV program she likes to watch. But what, what makes your wife happy? What delights her? You know, pleasing our wives is supposed to be a daily routine. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, go back to the left there and find 1 Corinthians 7 again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 32. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7, 32. But I would have you without carefulness. That's a great phrase saying, I'm trying not to panic you. <laughs> I don't want you to be anxious or worried. I want you to be without carefulness. He that is unmarried carries, cares for the things of the world, sorry, things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord, if you're saved. But he that is married, guess what? Cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his what? That's the priority care. Uh, run down to verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married, she careth for the things of the world. She cares about who's playing the World Cup. Not because she likes sports, but because her husband likes sports. She cares about things that he does. If he's a mechanic, she says, show me. Show me how this thing works inside underneath the bonnet. And she doesn't care one iota about a spark plug or a glow plug or a, a hose or a fuel filter. She just wants to learn to please him. Well, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of heaven, does a lot of things just to please us. You ever think of that? Go to James now, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, I have to respond to Eric. I'm going to say, you know, Eric, there are a lot of things the Lord could say. No way, not going to do that for you, Eric. And yet he does it because it blesses us. Look at James chapter 1 in verse 17. The Bible says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? So anything that's good, great, awesome, thrilling, fantastic in your life came from who? Came from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom he's, he never changes, he doesn't alter, he doesn't switch off, no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know, you know what he's doing? He's doing what blesses us. He calls it a gift. Gentlemen, find out what your wife likes to do and then just do it for her. Not all the time, but... Do it enough where she knows that you love her. That's how you love your wife. And then back in Ephesians, go back there. Four words jump out in this phrase here, in this section here. And the four words are cherishing, nourishing, delighting, and making her laugh. Now, cherishing is a wonderful word. It simply means you make her feel loved. 
to treat with tenderness and affection, to give warmth, ease, or comfort to. Are we good at that, gentlemen, or do we just tell her, stiffen up? You know, come on, just handle it. To cherish is to hold your wife as dear, to embrace with affection, to foster, and to encourage. To treat in a manner that encourages growth by protecting her, aiding, attending to her needs, supplying her needs. You know, you have a, uh, Patricia has a, a garden. You have a plant that's not growing. You don't take a big stick and start beating it. You don't yell at it either. You cherish it. You tenderly pull things off that are maybe like bugs or whatever that may be on it or whatever. You have a brand new baby kitten, some of you, or a puppy. What do you do with that puppy? You're tender towards it. That's cherishing. First Thessalonians, hold in your place here in Ephesians. Go to First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. First Thessalonians 2, 7 says, Paul says when he was in Thessalonica and he was teaching the Bible and he was helping the Christians there, he says, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Being very gentle to them. Value your wife more than you do value anything else. And we're, not even, we're not even given the option to do this. It's a commandment. Cherish. Nourish. That means to supply what she needs to grow. How do you nourish your children, gentlemen? If you've got kids, you know how you nourish them? You feed them, amen. <laughs> you give them your attention and your time. How many generations are we going to lose before we realize we need dad in the home? We need mom in the home. <clears throat> We've farmed out everybody, everybody's working, the kids are sitting in front of the television, they're sitting in front of the, inter the internet, and we've lost a dozen generations. And we can't just say, well, good riddance to my husband. I'm so tired of him being, being mean and, and, and abusive and all this stuff. Me and my kids will raise our kids alone. That may be possible, but that is not what is right. What is right is we need dads who are husbands to their wives, nourishing her, nourishing children. We need to be there for them. Not at, not at the office. Not down at the sport hall. Need to nourish. It's up to us husbands to make sure our wife has what she needs to develop into the woman God designed her to be. Most of the time when we get married, we think, mm, she's all I want. But she's not all she should be. Again, I say it, a man marries a woman hoping that she never changes, and she does. A woman marries a man hoping he does change, and he won't. Make sure your wife has what she needs to develop into the woman God designed her to be. Don't ignore her needs, but meet those needs. That's what it means to nourish, to delight in her. Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I have some news for you gentlemen. Your wife is not from Venus. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 5. She is a gift from God. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed, speaking of your home life, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished how often? Always with her love. Be satisfied with her. You know, um, Mark chapter 10. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10 and verse 7. Too many people worry about whether they got married right or whether they're really married because he's not saved or she's not saved or we were ungodly. Would you quit that? Look at Mark chapter seven, 10, verse 7. For this cause shall a man, any man, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one what? 
They may not be one spirit. They may not be one emotionally. They may not be one anything else. But you are one flesh from that moment of your determination, your vow to be married. What therefore the pastor or the government has joined together? Is that what it says? No. You may have to, in order for your taxes, you may have to go down to the registrar and, 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 and do all this marriage, all this stuff. But what God has joined together, let not men put asunder. So that wife of yours is a gift from God, whether, whether she's saved or lost, whether she's spiritual or carnal, whether she loves you well or poorly, she's a gift. And you better guard your heart, gentlemen, because the scourge of today is pornography. The scourge today of almost every man in this room is the temptation to pornography. And it's not something that's out there. It's something that's in the church. The Bible says if you have any desire to be married, get married. Don't waste it on the internet. Don't waste your love and your heart and your mind and your future on something that's not real. You need to delight in one woman for the rest of your life. Amen. And I also say this, make her laugh. No, go back there. Make her laugh. That's our job. You know, I, li I like a good joke. Unfortunately, Eric doesn't tell too many of them. But I like a good joke. I like to laugh. I like things that actually are enjoyable to, to, to you know, um, I could describe some cat things that I've seen that are just hilarious. And I like, I, got, I like a laugh, but so does my wife. And it's my job to make sure that she's happy and that she laughs. Because when I come home, or when I've been away, or whatever, I have no idea what she's been through. All right, now she's gotten rid of, we've gotten rid of all of our kids. So she's got to be happier, I hope, amen. But I ought to I make it my priority, if I seek to satisfy her, if I seek to please her, I want to make her laugh. I want to take time to do things that make her laugh. That means I don't tell her Eric's jokes, that's for sure. <laughs> tell her mine. Next one's a little bit harder. A husband's love is sorry for failures. Now, Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 verse 19 says this, and then we'll come back to Ephesians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Wow. <laughs> I guess he's predicting that husbands do get bitter. Gentlemen, amen. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 now. Ephesians 4.31. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, there we are, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, all your meanness. <laughs> and be ye kind one to another. That goes for both men and women, husbands and wives, but we're talking about the men for a minute. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now Jesus has never had to say sorry. Aren't you glad? His ways are perfect. I like Psalm 1830. Amen, Weston. As for God, His way is perfect. But our ways, eh, it ain't so. Psalm 38, verse 18, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Wow, that's a determination of a king. Luke 15, the prodigal son says this in the middle of the pig pen. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He came in low, and he was sorry. You know, uh, I, 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 Jesus has never had to say sorry, but all husbands do have to do it. I wish our homes were success stories. I mean, wouldn't it be great to write a story and says the Ledbetter success story? You know, be like me, you know. A lot of books are like that. Not this book. A husband's love is never perfect. 
Throughout history, all husbands have had to say sorry for things they have done and have not done. Rarely do they say it. There are two great commandments here we just read. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Put it away from you with all malice and just be kind. Now, a husband's bitterness will show up in four ways. Number one, it'll show up when you're using harsh words, when you're just mean. My wife calls me Mr. Grumpy. So, when you allow frustration to dictate how you treat your wife. When you refuse to work things out between you and your wife because you're offended. When you reject the work of God through your wife's flaws. I want, my, I want God to work through my wife's perfections on me. Amen? I mean, I, I just want her perfect love to make me a better man. But God uses her flaws just as much as her goodness and her perfection to actually change me. So when I reject that work, it is a sign of bitterness. So here's a great truth. When we listen to how we have hurt our wives and say sorry, it actually makes us human. Because only God has no reason to say I'm sorry. <laughs> Ouch. It also, secondly, when you say you're sorry, it makes you humble. It makes you, brings you down to the level of the person that we've hurt. And it forces us to hear and become aware of what we've actually been doing without even knowing it. Gentlemen, take time to find out if you've done something wrong. And I know your wife is going to say, no, everything's fine. <laughs> you may be on a, a hunt trying to figure out what you did. But once she wants to know, do you really want to know? She wants to know, are you going to say you're sorry, too? Uh, those are... Those are Pretty big words to say, I'm sorry. You know, it's just right to do. James 5 says this, confess your faults one to another. Where do our sins get confessed to? To God. But if I'm at fault, I confess my fault to my wife. We can pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Own up to things. You know, your wife may make you out to be totally to blame. You're not. But you can actually start to be sorry and everything melts. And that shows great love. Lastly, there's one last point, and that is a husband's love is steadfast. Back to Ephesians 5. And it says 33, but I want you to look at verse 31 instead. Ephesians 5, 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be, how often? From then on. What good is love if it is not forever? This effort of us loving our wife is not a once-off thing. It has to be steadfast, constant, resolute, faithful, consistent, persistent, firm, unchangeable by the help of God. It's not a kind of love that occasionally is active and passionate, but it's constantly faithful, constantly visible, constantly active, and constantly passionate. How much of our time are we distracted, too busy, uncaring? Our, lie, our wives need a kind of love that is thick-skinned, where... We're able to put up with her ups and downs. Now, I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you try to stay consistent. At least I do. I think I do. But guess what? Women change. Most women, sorry, most men, most of us men had no idea how changeable women would be when we married them. We had no idea. It gets worse. We are ill-equipped to know what to do with a woman when she's crying. And she's not explaining it. And when, when things are, are different than how we see it. But you know what? None of that matters. A man, according to the Bible, when he got married, you're married. And you're to love consistently. Um, Christ commands us to love our wives like Christ loves us. Go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 
Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. I like the past tense, present tense, future tense of this verse. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord is talking about Israel when she was so, when as a nation she was so far away from God and just in trouble with God. In verse 3, the Lord hath appeared of old from the past unto me, saying, Yea, I have in the past loved thee with a everlasting, it reaches into the future, with an everlasting love. Therefore, now with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I loved you in the past. I will always love you in the future. So right now I keep drawing you to me. That's steadfast love, unwavering. You ought to go read the book of Hosea where God commanded a godly prophet named Hosea to love an unfaithful woman named Gomer. Imagine, do you, Gomer, take Hosea? <laughs> but he was commanded to go and love an unfaithful woman to show that that is what God has had to have toward us, a love towards unfaithful people. Our Christian marriages should actually last until death do us part. Amen? And he says, love not only unwavering, but love to the end. Look at John, Gospel of John, chapter 13. This is an amazing verse. As, as the disciples are gathered around, they're having the last supper, and they're all happy and everything, Jesus knows they're going to be walking and running away from him within a few hours. And look what it says. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. You know, uh, he knew that they would abandon him. He knew they would curse his name, and yet he loved them anyway. That's why we say at a, at a ceremony, we say, till death do you part. Don't let any marriage, don't let your marriage, don't let your future marriage, young ladies, young men, do not let your future marriage become a statistic. So what does a Christian man's love look like? It will look spirit-filled. It will, you'll see a submitted attitude where he's yielded to God and especially to his family. You'll see a man who sacrifices himself for his family. You'll see a man who sanctifies his wife and his family, not just protecting them from the internet, not just protecting them from bad friends, but protecting them from all of the things that the, wor that the world and the flesh and the devil work on in their hearts and in their minds by being with them and by loving them and washing them in the word. You'll see a man who satisfies his wife. You'll see a man who's able to be sorry for failures. You're not just a man of the house. You're a flawed man. You need to be sorry. And you'll see a man who's steadfast. And I, I love, I love, I don't see it often enough. I love when I see an older couple and they're sweetly in love. Don't you? Doesn't that blow you away? That's what a, what a godly Christian man's love should look like. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, you start off at 8. How well do you think you're loving your wife now? Would you, would you say, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Between 8 to 10, I'm almost at 10. Or are you able to say, honestly, you're maybe not quite that good compared to the love of Christ? When you compare to Christ and you see how much he loves you, I think you'd say, I've got a lot to work on. I know that, honestly, when we take a look at our, our love, we don't even try. We just got our set ways. This is just how I am. You know how many times I hear that? Do you know how many times, Brother Jaron, I hear somebody say, well, this is just how I am. Do you understand what that means? It means I don't care what God says. Well, I just don't do that. It's not in our culture. You know what that says? You think Christ's love doesn't matter and shouldn't affect you. 
You don't have to take it up with me. According to God, you can love as Christ loved the church and loved you. At least we should. You think your wife deserves a better kind of love than we currently are showing? Don't you think, ladies, you want a Prince Charming who actually loves you all the way to the end? Well, look for that kind of guy then. That's why, folks, don't be looking at the pub or at the disco. You mean you're looking around churches and you need to find a place for somebody who's loving God and in their Bible and loves God more than he'll ever love you. That'll be a safe man. We need revival in our hearts, gentlemen, and that's the purpose of this series of message on Ephesians 5. They are the focus of the heart and, 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 and being real and being honest. And it not, you say, well, if I, if I try all these things, my wife may not appreciate it. I know, but I know somebody else will. Jesus will. And he can fix what you can't. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> I truly believe the hardest messages are the ones to, that preaches close to home. Because that's where we hurt the most. That's where we've been hurt the most. And almost all of our dreams and our desires have been smashed by unmet expectations by carnality, by sin, constantly starting over. Yet God has the, the audacity to say, love anyway. Submit anyway. Serve anyway. So Lord, we're just going to start this morning and say, God, you're going to have to do something in my heart if I'm going to love like that. You're going to have to give me something beyond what I already have because maybe it's not in me. So I ask you, please help me, God, to get that walk with you right, to get my own heart right. Help me appreciate what Jesus sees in me and see it in my wife. And help every person in this room realize that a good marriage, a strong, godly marriage, is one of the best pictures of the love of Christ for his people and even for the lost. No wonder the world doesn't appreciate the gospel because they haven't seen it work in the home. Lord, in our homes, as broken as they are, maybe dad's not there, maybe mom's not there, maybe, maybe... Just things are all out of whack. I don't know. But God, by your grace, I pray for a miracle. I pray that you would help us to have the right love and have the right hope that this is right and that you would do something marvelous in our homes, God. Some people want to have a godly husband. Some people want to have a godly home, and I'm, I'm grateful that we have the right desires, I pray we'd follow through with them now. And you save our homes, please. May we fight for our wives and for our children. Because the devil's not going to let up. And if we don't take this thing seriously, he'll get another generation. I pray it stops here. In Jesus' name.